it's hard for me to really wrap my head around some of the things I did as a kid. I think that might just be part of the seven nature though, right? Like to avoid thinking about anything that could have been hard or difficult. But I think for me, I think there's definitely some truth to that message. Not so much that it wasn't okay to depend on others. I definitely can resonate with that. But for me, I was adopted and I knew I was adopted at a pretty early age. And so I think somewhere there's this message of saying like, you are on your own. And that's a whole nother piece that someone somewhere didn't want me. I'm Sawyer Witted. And I'm Scott Tress. Welcome to The Stories That Make Us. This podcast uses the tool of the Enneagram to explore the beauty and complexity of humanity through stories, both real and fictional. Some episodes, we interview live guests about their stories through the lens of their types. Other episodes, we'll dissect fictional characters to discover their types and learn more about ourselves in the process. Because the reality is, it can be hard to see ourselves accurately. The eye can see everything but itself. Thanks for joining us, and let's get to it. Yo, Scott, what's up? (laughs) Hello, hello. How are you, Sawyer? Did I sound cool? Mm, You tried. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I'm doing pretty well. I'm tired, man. Mm. We just recorded episodes for a couple hours. Yes. And this is the last thing we have to do tonight. So, okay. I have a question for you. Mm. Yes, let's hear it. If you could make the ultimate sandwich, what would be in it? Mm. I know my questions are mm. great. I mean, there's already so many good sandwiches out there. <laughs> okay, well, like, what's your favorite sandwich then? I mean, that can be your answer. <laughs> I I'm from outside Philadelphia. I love a good cheesesteak. Oh. I can't deny that. Mm. I know you, you know, you dislike the city, which is shameful. But well, I I embrace the beauty of the cheesesteak. Yeah. I can't. I don't think you can perfect steak. it. Yeah. I mean, I can't have gluten or dairy, so cheesesteak is just like <laughs> deathly to me. But I mean, cheesesteaks are amazing. I've tasted them. I've had one before, you know. I'll just pre- take a bowl of chopped steak, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you want cheese? No cheese. Just chopped steak. Um, actually, that'd be pretty good. Put some ketchup on it. Whatever. Um, that makes sense. I feel like I honestly, one of my favorite sandwiches, it's like the least nutritious thing in the world, mm. but a peanut butter and fluff. Mm. Right? Yes. Ugh, that was a big time college lunch when I had to oh, make food myself. I said childhood and you said college. Awkward. Mm. That's because you were a child in college. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. It's an easy meal to make. You know, it's cheap. Big bowl of fluff. It's a couple bucks. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's a win-win. No, I'm with you. Healthy. Oh. Um, okay. Let's dive into mm-hmm. today's episode. Woo. The actually important things to talk about. Now, our sandwich, <laughs> our sandwich desires are important. Oh, yeah, too. Okay, so we are talking about type sevens today. Mm. This is our intro episode to type sevens. And what's fun as we talk about sevens today is that you yourself are a seven, Scott. Mm. So yes, this I is, am. yeah, this is exciting. As I read these uh, four core motivations for type sevens, try not to cringe too much, Scott. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Will do. Type seven is often called the enthusiast. The core fear that they're running from is being trapped in emotional pain, being deprived, limited, bored, or missing out on something fun. As children, young type sevens often had a deep sense of curiosity and playfulness, hmm. but also they felt like there was a loss of paradise. So something too painful happened at some point in their childhood. And despite their best efforts and optimistic outlooks, they realized the world was not exclusively joyful and fun. 
Because of this, they often prolong their childhood or prolong kind of that innocence of just fun and joy without pain. This all stemmed from a belief that they had that it was up to them to take care of themselves. If they let others take care of themselves, then there is a chance that that person may not follow through. As the seven learned in childhood, that causes incredible pain and suffering. And so it's a mentality of if you want it, you need to go out there and get it for yourself. Hmm. This led the child seven to believe an unconscious message. And that message is that it is not okay to depend on others for anything. They then employ this defense mechanism of rationalization, which is where they use their incredibly quick minds to turn something painful, hard, or bad into something good, acceptable, or redemptive. This may sound like a good deal, but often the seven doesn't allow adequate time for the deep work of sanctification and growth to happen. Instead of sitting in the painful things that bring about growth and depth in our lives and make us look more like Jesus, sevens, fearful that they won't be able to handle it alone, constantly spin their circumstances into positivity and optimism, forsaking the opportunity to grow through pain. This is how the seven defends their fear. There's a message that sounds something like this. As I continue to rationalize my wrongdoings, painful situations, and trauma, I no longer have to feel trapped, stuck with no way out. And I can focus all of my attention on getting what I desire. And for the type seven, that desire is to be happy, to be fully satisfied, and to be content. They want to be happy. They want to be satisfied and content. But believing they can never be sure that they will have that, they focus their attention on planning instead. And planning is not necessarily like you're planning for a party and you got all the details and stuff. No, it, it's more of a powerful mental analysis of the future where you pursue the next fun thing, the next exciting thing, the next satisfying thing. Oftentimes, seven struggle to even enjoy the present moment because they're already on to whatever's next. It's not uncommon for a seven to be excited only halfway through something fun about all that they're going to do afterwards with the next thing. Sevens often hate having any space in their day that isn't filled with something stimulating. And then the core weakness, that is gluttony. And this is not necessarily in regards to food, although sevens can definitely have a complicated relationship with food. Mm. <laughs> this gluttony looks more like they're constantly seeking to fill the great empty hole inside of them, and they consume and consume more and more stimulation and experiences in an effort to satiate their hunger for wholeness, for happiness and satisfaction. Gluttony is a relentless energy powered by the belief that enough is never enough. Mm. So what the type of seven needs to break them free from this cage is what I call the secret sauce. And that's the <laughs> core longing. It's the fourth core motivation. The core longing for type sevens says, you will be taken care of. Hmm. Now, as we've said many times before, what we believe is that having a head knowledge of the Enneagram is great. But what really helps us get to know these types is by getting to know the experiential mm -hmm. knowledge, by getting to know a person who feels it, who lives it and understands it and see their perspective. Right. So today we have on the pod, Nathan Hoffer. Nathan is a leadership coach from South Dakota who focuses on developing healthy team dynamics through his company, Be Planted. He is a certified Enneagram instructor through Your Enneagram Coach, just like me. Nathan believes that people are like seeds, filled with the potential for incredible things. They just first need to be planted in healthy mm. soil and nurtured to grow. And he is a type 7. Woo! <laughs> Enjoy this episode, guys. Hey, Nathan. Thanks for being on the pod today. Thanks for having me, Sawyer. It's fun to fun to hang out with you in the uh, the podosphere. <laughs> the podosphere. I don't know. What do yeah, you call man. it? The podcast world? It's this ethereal plane of existence. <laughs> As we talk about the Enneagram, we always start in childhood when we talk about how a type is formed. And so you being our type seven representative, I want to explain a little bit about what the core fear for type seven is. And that is being trapped in emotional pain, 
being deprived, limited, bored, major FOMO. And and it's not just this shallow, I'm afraid of missing out on something fun just because I want to be a part of a fun experience. There's a lot more depth to it than that, that I don't think sevens get a lot of credit for. It has a lot more to do with satisfaction and contentment. And if you potentially miss an opportunity in which that could happen, there's a real fear that that rears its head there. And so with these fears, they always start in childhood. They always begin to form when you're a child. And so I'm curious for you, Nathan, what was your family household like growing up? I think I had a, a pretty fun and overarchingly good childhood. I grew up on a farm, which is, that's an experience in and of itself, but grew up on a farm as an only child. And so I was, I was able to run and play and do all sorts of creative stuff. One of those things that really gets at you though, is like you're, especially now that we see how connected we are all the time, like there was a distinct disconnect from people and friends and others that I could have in my like wheelhouse within my my age range to hang out with, to be friends. That really didn't, I would say solidify, but like those options were not really available until I was old enough to drive, you know, I couldn't to, to travel on my own because we're 10 to 15 minutes out of town and you're by yourself. And so like, I think there is that natural fear of missing out because you know you are, right? Because like, there are things happening in my tiny hometown. My graduating class was a whopping 21 kids. So it's not like we were flourishing or anything, but there are things happening and stuff going on. And so on the side of that, you know, small community, small town, that type of lifestyle, you get involved in everything. And so I think that naturally feeds into a seven's need for continued <laughs> activity. Mm. And the reasoning behind why you have that continued activity varies. But, you know, I think for me, it was partially about connection partially because sitting still was uncomfortable. And then there's that whole thing is you don't want to live in your head because that's the place where the scary things are, you know? So you, you mm. in, engage externally. So like I said, as a kid, it was a ton of fun to be imaginative and run around, but then you start hanging out with people and going to school and realizing, oh, they're hanging out after school. They're doing this. I can't because I get to ride the big old yellow school bus back home and I don't have that same room. So a lot of really good things with it, but definitely, yeah, like you said, that FOMO piece totally ingrained in just the nature of what it was like for me growing up. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, man. As we have this core fear as children, there's also a wounding message that kind of accompanies that fear. We don't necessarily hear this message explicitly. Uh -huh. Oftentimes, we actually hear it implicitly, although it definitely can be said explicitly from external forces speaking it to you. So for the type seven, the wounding childhood message that they often hear is that it's not okay to depend on other people for anything. And so for you, Nathan, do you resonate with that? What was that like for you as a kid? It's hard for me to really wrap my head around some of the things I did as a kid. I think that might just be part of the seven nature though, right? Like to avoid thinking about anything that could have been hard or difficult. But I think for me, I think there's definitely some truth to that message. Not so much that it wasn't okay to depend on others. I definitely can resonate with that. But for me, I was adopted and I knew I was adopted at a pretty early age. And so I think somewhere there's this message of saying like, you are on your own. And that's a whole nother piece that someone somewhere didn't want me. That's not true, right? I can say it's not true because I've gotten to meet my birth parents. We're very close now. But yeah, that's a whole nother story for another day. And yeah. at night, I had five younger siblings, five younger half siblings. Mm -hmm. 
So I went from only child to big brother, like in the snap of a finger. And so there, but there's something to it where you're like, you think that somewhere along the line, maybe you weren't good enough. So you have to rely on yourself to be good enough (laughs) to show that I am worthy. You trust in other people and then they let you down at my the very start of my being (laughs) my parents they could not take care of me and it was the right choice right and so it's oh this is just another person who is not going to come through so end of the day the only person I have is me like when it comes to the big things I have to trust that I'm the one to do it because I'm the one who's always there. I'm the one who's got to do it. But when I want to have fun and hang out, like I've got all these friends to do whatever and hang out. But it's in this moment where it's okay, right here in in the hard, I'm either going to ignore it and find something else to do. Or I just have to buckle down and know like, no one else is going to do this for me. So I got I have to do it. Or I have to be really convincing with a couple of people to make them help me. (laughs) Right. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense, man. And I think type seven children, children in general are just so full of wonder, right? Wonder, curiosity, joy. But I think especially type seven children, like (laughs) you're not supposed to type children because you really don't know what type they're going to be. But Mm -hmm. I feel like there are many times where, you know, you can tell a kid is a seven because there's just like this excitement and enthusiasm and like entertainment piece of they love to entertain and like that sound like me. <laughs> I hear the sarcasm. Um, it's not enough for just them to have fun. They want everyone around them to also be having a good time. And that's that is such a beautiful thing about sevens, I think. Sevens will often report experiencing something in their childhood that was too painful to kind of like address or grapple with as a kid. And so they just chose this life of, I'm just going to keep being like innocent, fun and joyful and do the things that are enjoyable to me and ignore the bad because it just felt too painful. I think for myself, even now as a parent, I've got two daughters who they are very much reflections of myself for better or worse. But you look at that and I see it and I am going back and trying to think of like, these hard things from childhood, obviously, I'm, I, I use the Enneagram a lot in life. I use, mm-hmm. and I use being a parent daily, not always successfully, mm-hmm. but I'm doing it daily. And I look back and I'm thinking, gosh, I honestly don't remember some of these things from my childhood. I have to ask, but I also mm-hmm. think that it's because those painful things that probably happened, those are out the window for me. I forgot them. I've taken them and said, I can't, I'm not, I didn't want to deal with it then. I don't want to deal with it now. And so I've just forgot about it. But then you see as parents or in relationships, whatever it is, there's certain things that set me off. And I'm like, why are those things setting me off? And I go back and I, all of a sudden something's like, oh yeah, I remember that. Or I'll talk to my mom or my dad and be like, did I ever have to deal with this? Oh yeah, you had, I'm like, really? That explains so many things today. (laughs) Yeah. What is that? What is it that you go back and forget these things? It's a way of coping, frankly. You don't want to deal with the hard stuff. And so you try to fill your time so you don't have to sit in it. And I think I've told you this before, Sawyer, and I'm I know we're maybe jumping all over the podcast here, but in 2012, my youngest half-brother passed away really suddenly, really unexpectedly. And Mm -hmm. that really threw me, but I didn't know 
what to do with that. Uh, I mean, I had had loss before, but this was just like, this was different, right? This was different. And so that moment carried on for a couple of years, frankly. I did not want to deal with the hard stuff. So I was there at his bedside when he was pronounced and he had passed. I was working in higher ed at the time. I went back to work. I was there for a few days and went back down to go to Nebraska, to go to the funeral, to go to all that stuff. And in that space, like, I just kept doing things. I doubled down on work. I didn't sleep very much because sleep was anxiety inducing and it was the quiet. It was that thing. So I would stay awake as long as I could until I was too tired to stay awake. And then I'd go to sleep and I'd wake up and I'd do it again. I lived on campus at the time. So it was real easy for me just to double down into everything work related and look like a really good, passionate employee. But it was totally a way to not deal with the real things, the hard things, and just go right past it. And that stuff affected a whole bunch of stuff. And farther down the line, I met my wife, we got engaged, stuff hit the fan and it rocked me and it rocked our relationship. And it took us two years of working through it before we were ready to get married. And we, But it was good because we got on the same page. But gosh, if I had dealt with that stuff uh, in a more healthy manner... Wouldn't that have been something? Yeah. Wow. In some ways, it's impressive the amount of energy that you guys have that you expend towards running from this fear of being stuck in pain, right? Can you speak to that maybe a little more of what the what does the being stuck or trapped in pain communicate? Like, why is that a scary thing? It's just uncomfortable. It's part of it, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. I was actually had a like an appointment recently, uh, functional health, you know, and they're asking like, how are you doing? I'm great. Really? Have you been experiencing stress? And I was like, actually, yeah. And I finally was able to realize that stress can occur without being to a state of overwhelm, right? Like you can be stressed mm-hmm. without being overwhelmed. But in my head, mm-hmm. stress meant you were overwhelmed. I'm like, I'm functioning. I'm fine. And right. so sevens, a lot of the times they look like the flighty bounce around people. And people are often shocked when they discover that these people really have a deep mental world, like a mental space where they're deep thinkers. Mm -hmm. They're often pretty intelligent. Like I just remember one of my roommates in college being like really mad that I was getting really good grades in college and hanging out and having fun. And because some of those things just came really easy to me. And he was like, I don't get it. I said, I don't know. Sorry, I also didn't do pharmacy school, buddy. Like we went different paths. But it's also like, in the quiet, in the silence, in the stillness, which, especially for (laughs) developing our faith as Christians, Mm -hmm. we sit in the stillness, right? I am really bad at sitting in the stillness, because the things that I start to process and mull over, it's always these really heavy things. And I remember being a kid who was probably, I don't know, like 10, 11, 12. I don't know. I wasn't driving. So, in South Dakota, we started driving at 14. So, it was before that. Um, There's not very many people on the road or cows. There's cows. But (laughs) South Dakota life. (laughs) Welcome to the party. (laughs) I remember like mowing at our church. Like my mom and dad and I, we would help take care of the grounds and I was mowing and I just had this like moment where I stopped. I had to get off the mower and I was went inside the church and my mom came in and thought I was like sick or something. I said, I was just overwhelmed because somewhere along the line, I started dwelling on the concept of eternity, like trying to process Mm -hmm. that and thinking like, 
how big is that? It's too big for me to process. It's it's overwhelming. And so, inst- <laughs> I, I just couldn't handle it. So, so I, I had to move. I had to get myself out of that space physically and do something. And I just couldn't, like, I was driving a lawnmower. It wasn't a safe thing to be like very distracted about. And so I had to stop and process it. And so from then on, I'm like, I'm going to make sure I have a headphones and listen to my music. But this is back in when CD players were a thing. And anti-skip is a lie. And and so the music cutting in and out, but it was better than being stuck in my thoughts. Sure. Yeah. That makes so much sense. When we have this fear and when we have this wounding childhood message arise in childhood, we begin to employ many defense mechanisms to fight against those painful things. But one of the most primary defense mechanisms that sevens use is this defense mechanism called rationalization. And oftentimes it's described as being able to turn something that's painful or hard or bad into something that's good or acceptable or redemptive. It sounds like a good deal. <laughs> like who wouldn't want that? But Oftentimes, the downside to it is that sevens don't allow adequate time for deep work of sanctification to happen, which I think is like what you were just talking about a little Mm -hmm. bit there. And instead of sitting in those painful things that bring about growth and depth in our lives, sevens often fearful that they won't be able to handle it alone, will constantly spin those circumstances into positivity and optimism. And it's how the seven defends their fear, basically. There's a message that sounds something like this inside. As I continue to rationalize my wrongdoings, painful situations, trauma, I no longer have to feel trapped, stuck with no way out, and I can focus all of my attention on getting what I desire. And that's not necessarily a message that's conscious, but that's kind of what the subconscious is underneath. Does that resonate with you? Do you see this defense mechanism in your life? Yeah, I mean, I think for myself, and as I've gotten older, and like I said, become a parent, and in relationship with people on a daily basis, my spouse, my kids, you, you process some of these things and mm-hmm. rationalization and, av- and <laughs> avoidance through distraction are my two go-tos. Mm-hmm. And I think with rationalization in particular, I think a lot of people do this, but I think as sevens were known for it, right? But I know for myself, I understand where I was coming from with something I maybe don't always express it, but also long story short, it's like, who wants to be the villain in their own story, right? Like sure. you, in your head, like you, you can rationalize your decisions because you're like, all right, yeah, we got into that argument, but it's totally not my fault because they came in with an attitude or like my kids were whining and come and they weren't being grateful for the things we have. And so it was totally valid for me to say X, Y, or Z. Obviously, that's not true, right? But you get you get to that point. If you're not, if you are not consciously addressing those things, whatever your defense mechanism is, but for myself, the rationalization piece, if I'm not stepping and saying, you know what? And that's so hard for me, by the way, when I'm about to say, like, I'm even like, huh, <laughs> just thinking about it. But it's <laughs> like, like, you're right. <laughs> mm. You're you are probably right, or you are right, and I am in the wrong. Oh my gosh. I know that's hard for a lot of people to admit they're wrong, but there's some part of it where like deep down, I just, oh, it just, it hits me, right? It hits me because I'm like, I really don't want to say that I'm in the wrong here. And usually it takes 5, 10, 15 minutes or more of separation from the situation to say, "Mm -hmm." and that's that time when you can sit and you can do the opposite of what I want to do. And you sit and when you learn to hear Holy Spirit's voice too and convicting you and saying, hey, 
you might have been in the wrong there. No, I wasn't. <laughs> Inner voice, how dare you? <laughs> oh, be right. You're right. You're totally right. I was I was off the rails there. So, right. Yeah, rationalization and avoidance. Like I think those two do go hand in hand because you can avoid the uncomfortable nature and then you have a really good reason why you did it and you're not right. wrong. And then you don't have right. to feel unpleasant feelings about yourself because you weren't yeah. wrong. You weren't in the wrong. I was getting away from this thing because of this and mm-hmm. is totally justifiable. And that sure. might be true, but it doesn't make it right. Ooh, that's a good word right there. Yeah. And it's honestly, as much as I will say, like being, I'm in relationship with quite a few sevens in my life. My dad's a seven. One of my best friends is a seven. Party people. <laughs> Party people. Yeah. So as you talk about being a type seven dad, I actually know what it's like to have a type seven dad. So I like, I feel that. But I think being on the receiving end of the rationalization sometimes, and like, it's so hard to keep up with you guys because one of the most beautiful things about you guys is that your minds are so quick and they just think of solutions and ideas and possibilities like rapidly. And so it's hard, yep. It's especially when you guys are employing rationalization and just being the fun-loving, kind, tender, ever connecting with people that you are. It's hard to stay mad at you for long. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> you want me to remain <laughs> mad at you? <laughs> You're spot on with that. What I found with a lot of people who are sevens is they've got like a bunch of random interests or random things that they can do. Like we used to live in like a hundred plus year old house. I'm like, I can do this thing. I can fix this thing. And absolutely, I figured it out. Thank goodness for YouTube, by the way. I don't know what we ever did without it to, fi- to do <laughs> yeah. like home improvement projects. But there's just like an innate sense like, of course, I can figure this out. It'll be a lot of fun to figure this new thing out. And so, filling that thing with the newness and that, that quickness of, it drives my wife nuts. She likes to focus in, very disciplined, things that I need to do better at, frankly. Mm. But it drives her nuts that I'll have five different things happening and I'm still like engaging in the conversation. I'm doing this other thing. I'm doing this thing. And then she's like, how how can you function with all that chaos? And it's just like you said, brain is ping pong and all over the place, but it's all connected. And it's like almost like different trains are going at the same time. It's, this is happening here with this. Our conversation's over here on track B what's happening with the kids, the music that's over here on C and D. And then the thing I'm working on is right here on A. It's like, how? I don't know. But it's just, I think it is one of those things that we are either wired that way or we have learned to wire ourselves that way because it allows us to achieve those things that we find value in, right? I want to be curious. I want to be creative. I don't want to be in pain. So I try, I have all these different things going because then if I'm always moving, even if it's just in my brain, I don't have to sit. I don't have to sit in the heart. I don't have to go into those spaces in a negative way. That flows actually really well into the second core motivation here. As you're running away from those things, you're running towards what you desire and towards what you want. And for the type seven, that is to be content, to be fully satisfied and to be happy. However, you know, just like everyone else that we live in a broken world, where you're not sure that you can always be happy, satisfied, or content. And so you focus your attention on something. And for the type seven, this mental fixation is planning. And what that is, is a powerful mental analysis of the future, where you pursue the next fun thing, the next exciting thing, the next satisfying thing. And oftentimes, you'll struggle to enjoy the present as a result of that, because you're already off and on to the next thing. 
it's not uncommon for type sevens to be excited only halfway through something that's fun, like a vacation or something about all that they're going to do afterwards or the next week or the next vacation. And so sevens often hate having any space in their day that isn't filled with something that's stimulating or exciting. How do you find yourself thinking about this? Is this what you would say primarily consumes your attention? I think it doesn't. Yeah, I would say on autopilot, but also, I mean, just with my, within the world of work that I do, I'm always planning and creating and ideating. And I've been doing that for years and years, you know, like that's just almost second nature to what I do. Um, And it's laying out the plan for an event. When I was in higher ed, I did student engagement, student activities. It's laying out the plan for this. It's making sure all the pieces are there. I'm always ready for things to go awry because I've already thought of the plan. And it's like, all right, cool. The one, one or two times where I've had an event go perfectly is the most anxious I've ever felt in an event because I'm like, what's going to happen? The sound check went perfect. Everyone's here. No one's doing anything crazy. Is this place going to burn to the ground? <laughs> I, don't have a, I don't have a plan for that one. So I do think there's something about sitting in the, it's the exciting piece of possibility. And I do know that a lot of sevens do hit something real hard and they don't finish it. It's just how it is. I used to be that way. But I also learned the importance through some different opportunities working at a camp in the summer and that for years and just opportunities to see like sometimes you can't just think about the stuff, right? You have to do it. And sometimes you have to do the hard things and the things that aren't fun. Like you got sometimes you got to be the person to clean the toilets and that's okay. Going into those things, you, you mentioned contentment, right? And so mm-hmm. planning and ideating helps some of that mental space for contentment. But for the physical needs, I'm sure there are some sevens who just want more and more stuff. Gluttony is one of the things that we deal with, right? And I laugh about that yeah. one. My wife, especially, because we, I'm like, I'm a notorious binger of whatever it is. If it's, we don't have a lot of, we don't have sweets in our house very often, but we have cookies in our house. Those puppies are gone <laughs> like real yeah. quick. Or if we find a show that we like, we are cranking through that. We just watched all three of the Hobbit movies back to back, three days in a row, up far too yes. late. Mistakes were made. I'm too old for this now. <laughs> but it's like, I watched one and got to do the other two. Like, what a waste. <laughs> but for me, it's like contentment wouldn't necessarily be being a millionaire or billionaire by definition, but it would be able to just be like to not have to worry about things and just be able to explore whatever I'm passionate about or do like the stuff that I do as a coach part-time to be able to just to do that full-time and say, this is just what I love doing. And if I didn't have to worry about the finances of it or worry about making sure food was on the table or that we have everything in place with our home or healthcare, all those super fun adult things, uh, so much fun, just to not have to worry about them and just be able to be like, all right, those things are covered. We have exactly what we need and all those things are covered. We have room for fun and we can chase these things that we're passionate about. Yeah, that would totally be the dream. And like I said, you in my head, I've got a vision of what that looks like, but it would be really easy to get lost in the vision and not in the day-to-day. And I think when you are in an unhealthy space, I think you mean unhealthy in many aspects, whether it's relationally, emotionally, 
whatever. But I think if you're stuck in an unhealthy mental space here, you just, you can't sit in the present. You're always looking at something. You can't even just be happy fully in that moment. Because like yeah. you said, you go to Costa Rica or something and you're, or you're going to Hawaii and it's the middle of winter. And instead of being excited, you're like, well, when I get back, I could enjoy it for where we're at here. Negative 40 degree weather to 75 degree weather. Just shush and sit in it, be there and enjoy it. And yeah, I've been in that spot many a time. And I think there's been a lot of things that I have my wife who is a type one. So she mm -hmm. helps balance me out. And I, I need some that structure, even though I don't like it. I do know deep down I need it. And that helps so much with a lot of these things is, hey, I don't like living in a routine and schedule. That's not part of my life. But I also know that there's an important part of doing those things so I don't get stuck in the idea of what I could do next. You used the word earlier, gluttony. It's my favorite. <laughs> as a way to ignore, or not ignore, as a way to numb the pain and numb the things that are happening in, in the moment. And I want to focus a little bit of our attention on that word gluttony because that is a third core motivation of the type sevens, the core weakness, right? And so this gluttony it's often defined as like this constant seeking of things to fill what feels like an emptiness inside of them. Sevens will consume and consume more and more stimulation and experiences in an effort to satiate their hunger, this hunger for wholeness, for happiness, satisfaction. Gluttony is a relentless energy that is powered by a belief that enough is never enough. When we talk about the concept of the three instinctual centers, right? We've got the head center, we've got the gut center, and we've got the heart center. One of those muscles is always repressed. We use one of them primarily, and then one of them secondarily, and then the third one is, you know, our tertiary muscle, so to speak. But it's also our repressed muscle. It's the most underdeveloped. Your feeling or your heart muscle is the one that is underdeveloped. And so your thinking, which is where you primarily function as a seven, and then your doing, which is secondary, overcompensate and overfunction, but especially your thinking muscle. I think in my conversations with sevens, initially when people are first discovering their sevenness or talking about people in their lives who are sevens, they can struggle to understand why the feeling muscle is underdeveloped because sevens are very emotional people, right? Like they share their emotions. They are emphatic and enthusiastic. We often call them the enthusiasts. And so people can be surprised by that. But for you, do you find that you struggle to connect with your feeling center, with that heart center? And if so, what does that look like for you? Oh, yeah, that's an easy one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Next question. No, I was going to say, too, with with gluttony, too, I don't know. It's always about this enough isn't enough. I think it is just about like when we find something that we get fired up about. I wouldn't say it's a rarity, but to fully get fired up about something like we want to make sure we get every last uh, every last bit of it you know and i know the people here on the pod cannot see, not see this but you and i do have a mutual love for the office as referenced by your artwork in the background <laughs> and That's i right. i mean like i can watch that show time and again you know because it's like maybe you love apple pie like you're never sad when you see apple pie again sure. but you <laughs> might take it all down it's not always about the new, but it is about trying to get everything out of it. If I'm on an office kick, I'm probably on a full office kick. We're not going to watch one or two episodes. We're probably going to start on season one and we're going to work our way all the way through. I'm going to get everything out of it. I have a type seven in my life who is an adult man and will lick his dinner plate clean because he's just getting every last bit of food. Don't want to waste the good stuff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
it's the best. Hey, it's like my grandpa and I used to always fight for the the burned pieces of chicken on the bottom of the pan. I'm not saying it was good, but he liked it and I wanted to be like grandpa. And it was like, you got to get all of it. Can't yeah, let it go. Right. It's the good yeah. stuff. It's been sitting in all the, all the fun. Yeah, it's been just hanging out. It's ready to go. But for the feelings part, I will 100% say that what you were saying about feelings, that totally resonates with me because I was shocked. I have a degree in counseling. I'm actually feel like I'm very good at understanding the emotions of others and being able to sense when they're off and something's not right or like get a good feel. However, when it comes to my own emotions, I do not, turns out, have a good gauge for what is going on under the surface or that the things that I'm, like I said today, just today, I had that thing about stress. Oh, are you stressed? Actually, I think I am. (laughs) because you just don't have a grasp on it. It's almost like you, for me at least, I want to say it for all sevens, but for me at least, I think somewhere along the line, ignoring the hard feelings because they were yucky just happened. And you said the doing thing is like, I need to focus on doing for others. And like the thinking, that's all up here. And I can make the thinking exciting. But the feelings, those, those hit you all the way through. Those hit you in your core. Those hit you in all those places. I know I've gotten more in touch with my feelings since I became a dad, but I'll just cry about dumb stuff. And I'll be like, why am I crying? And then it leads down a road of, oh, this is why. And this is, uh, oh, this has been around for a long time. And I'm processing things that have happened. Just the other week, my wife and I, we were having a loud discussion and (laughs) I, I was struggling to figure out what was going on with me. And somehow it like came down to this thing, like down at my core, this is something I've been dealing with since I was a kid and I didn't know. It was like having to prove that I have value. And all of a sudden, all these other things about my interactions with my family and the way I choose to be at work and the things that like set me off or don't set me off, it all came back to this thing that I didn't even know because I hadn't, I had somewhere deep down, I had just been like, that's too hard to deal with. Let's just go play frisbee or something. Let's go do something else. Let's go for a run. Let's watch seven movies. Let's do anything but deal with that. Let's watch all of The Office again. Well, that's just a good life choice for anyone. Just do that. That that has nothing to do with sevenness. That's just a successful choice. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, 100%, the feeling part is definitely an area for myself that I'm just like, I don't deal with it fully because... I'm not sure where, but somewhere along the line, that just became too hard. And now to try to be a healthier person, a healthier husband, a healthier father, and teach our family how to do things in a better way than this. I just got done telling my oldest, I hope you're better than your dad (laughs) at a lot of these things because I don't want you to live in the same things that I've lived into. I want you to be better. I want to have gone the wrong directions before you and learn how to make it better so you don't have to go there. And yeah, I think it, it takes time and it takes work but yeah you got to use that you got to use that third muscle but also you're at your best when you're using your strongest muscle like when i'm coming up with ideas i'm knocking it out of the park i feel like i done i'm like i just crushed it today and then if i I have an emotional response i'm like oh no it was terrible but it wasn't that big of a deal and so you just have to have some grace for yourself and also grace for others and just be like you know what i do have to sit and be in the hard for a little bit and let that be and just be okay with it and not run. And sometimes you need someone who can say like, 
all right, you're going to sit here. I'm taking away your phone and you're not going anywhere. Okay, mm -hmm. good. Because you can't distract yourself in this space. Right. Yeah. Wow. Watch me. Watch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you think I need a phone to distract myself. <laughs> Mistake number one. <laughs> So we've talked about a lot of kind of the hard aspects of type seven, and I don't want to just leave our listeners yeah. there. That's a piece about the Enneagram that I love is that it doesn't just leave us in this trap of running from our core fear, running towards our core desire, tripping over our core weakness. It doesn't leave us there, right? So that's where our fourth core motivation comes in, and that's the core longing. This is the message that is offered to each type, and each type has their own individual unique message. This is the message for your head, for your heart, your body, and your spirit. And for type seven, it is that you will be taken care of. How does this message resonate with you? I think for me, it's not so much that I, I will be taken care of, although that's part of it. I think it's, for me, it's that I'm worthy of being cared for, that I have value, that I'm loved, because then it's like this safe place to be. I think that looks different for a lot of different people, but I think the way Christ speaks to me, it's like, I know that I'm going to have value, that I'm going to be worthy. And I think I've said before, the father image of God has always been a difficult one for me to wrap my heart around. It's like I said, I felt like I've, I haven't done enough. I'm not worthy of it. And I know that's the whole thing. You're not supposed to be worthy of it, but somewhere deep down, I feel like I have to prove it. Right? I have to be able to say, this is I have to make sure that I feel like I've deserved it. If I've screwed up, I'm like, I don't deserve it. And I can't accept it because I haven't done the right stuff. So feeling like, and knowing that regardless that Christ loves me and wants that for me and wants to care for me and to make sure that the deep places, the dark places, those are cared for, that takes such a weight off of my whole self. The ability to be secure in, the, in that moment, all of a sudden you can sit still um, like I said, we've talked a lot about the negative stuff too, but there's just so much joy and creativity and just a passion and zest for life that comes as a seven when you sit in the wholeness of who God created you to be. And I don't always receive it well. <laughs> I'm working on that still and I want that. But when, I've, when I can sit there and just feel like I am safe, like I'm getting a hug of his love and just I'm being cared for and I'm centered oh my gosh, it's, I can't even put words to it. It's just this amazing feeling of I can be just who I am in this moment and I can sit and I can be still. I can't even count the number of times in the last year or two that during like worship and trying to just sit and be present, how many times I've cried or been just like overwhelmed with joy. And I don't understand it because those are feelings. And one of those, it's like, I, I know it's because I am safe in his presence and I'm being cared for and I'm worthy of his care, even though I truly don't deserve it. And that's crazy, but gosh, it's good. Yeah. Tell me if this resonates with you or not. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Cool. We'll move on. Um, because as you're talking, it it's triggering these thoughts in my head. Could the, you will be taken care of, which is a future mm -hmm. focused sentence, by the way, right? Yeah. You will be. Maybe that message is only true because you already have whatever you need. You use the word wholeness. You said something about being whole and that leading you to, to this whole other experience of I'm already way that I'm created to be. I already have what I need. And so it reinforces this message of because I've been created with all that I need, I'm worthy of being taken care of because you're a human being and all humans are worthy of being taken care of. Not only are you worthy of it, but it will happen and okay. is happening. 
don't know. Yeah. It feels like ethereal and vague, but I think it also speaks just to like, like you mentioned earlier, we often are not sitting in the present and we're sitting in the future, but we sit in the future because we're worried about <laughs> the present or like we're worried that it's not going to meet our needs or our vision or our goals, or we're going to have to sit in hard things. And so I think the Lord knows that and meets us there and says, I'm here now. Like you said, I'm taking, like you are safe in the present. But in that thing that you're thinking about, that you're hoping and dreaming for, or that you're distracting yourself with, like, you will be taken care of in that space. So sit here with me now. Be here with me now. Be present today. Don't live Mm -hmm. so far in the future. That's okay. But like (laughs) right now, be here. Because I think there's, there's good in looking in the past. There's good at looking in the future. And it's good in being in the present. But I think sevens are so future oriented that we need the Lord to come and meet us and say, hey, you will be cared for and you are cared for now. So let's just hang for a little bit and let's just be together because right now you're way out there, but I'm here with you right now. So be yeah. here with me because that right. stuff, while it might, it does matter and it is important, it's going to be okay. You're going to be taken care of. So let's be here. And for other types, it's like, you got to focus on the future because you're not thinking about anything other than what has happened. And I think the Lord is gracious to pull us from where we are to where we need to be. Amen, man. Thanks for sharing all that. That's a really good. That actually, again, that flows really well into the next part too. And this is where, this is what I kind of want to lead it, leave everyone with. So something that Scott and I are recommending for all the types is three practices. The first practice is these breath prayers. And for type sevens, we encourage you guys to breathe in deeply and breathe out the message that I am cared for, I am seen, I am free, I am enough. Are there any that you would add? Oh, gosh. I think for myself, I think it would say I am loved, I am chosen, and I am worthy. Because I think those are some of those things for myself, at least. It's that longing for a relationship with our creator, but somewhere in our brains, that thinking center, we're thinking like, there's no way that's possible to process eternity, a loving creator who knows me, who knows everything and still wants to be with me in my mess. That's just hard to wrap my head around. And like I said, you can't because logically it doesn't make sense. Right. Right. And so I think for myself, I would add, I am loved, I am chosen Mm -hmm. and I am worthy because I know that matters because every one of these things that you just said and the ones I just said make me cringe inside because it feels like a little bit too much. But sure. that's probably means it's the real deal and it's probably the things I right. want to hear because they're, they make you feel uncomfortable, not because it's coming from a place of discomfort, but from a place of like, I really want that, but I shouldn't be able to have it. So mm-hmm. I, I, those would be the sure. three I would add. Yeah. The second practice that we recommend to people is speaking affirmations. It's one thing to think about these things, but to actually say them out loud and hear the words come out of your mouth and into your ears is a whole nother thing. And so an affirmation that we recommend for type sevens would be, I am cared for apart from the ways that I seek my own care with or without other people. And then finally, just moving to the third practice that we recommend. This third practice is the act of remembering and specifically remembering your beauty. And so I want to paint a picture for you here. And it's a picture of a tree, which you'll probably appreciate a lot with bee planted and all of that. So there are three main components to the tree. There's the trunk and the roots. And for the type seven, that's believing your core longing that you will be taken care of. Believing that you will be taken care of and that you are worthy, as we had said before. That is the foundation of the tree. That's its roots and its trunk. 
And then as the tree grows, it grows these branches. And these branches now start to hit the trees around it and engage with nature. So you believe this core longing in the trunk that you will be taken care of and you are worthy. And then these branches are this virtue of sobriety. And that's the ability to see the world for what it is, the good and the bad. And as the virtue of sobriety grows, as the branches of the tree grow, they cultivate this fruit. And this is the fruit of groundedness for the type seven. The groundedness for the seven is this cultivation of reasonable expectations for their lives and their relationships. And they become some of the best friends that anyone could ever have because they enter into a life with a joy of substance instead of a pleasure of avoidance. I mean, I think that makes a ton of sense. As you said, I do love a good tree metaphor. But I was going to say too, I think when we get that core longing, when those roots are deep, those roots also intertwine just like those branches do. We just don't see it. We see, but those deep things under the surface, those are much more powerful than we give them credit for. And like in any forest, if you would dig up the ground, you're going to see root systems that are all tied together and intertwined and supporting one another. And so just as those branches are touching out there and having those branches that are that that bit of sobriety that are touching things, that core longing of knowing who God made you to be, like that's also connecting with others and helping them connect to the Lord Mm. and helping and their connection is helping you connect and all of this stuff is happening under the surface. And as you get to that space, that really allows for you not to just for that those branches to not just grow but to to sprout and bloom and the fruit to really just really pop and i think that's something that i've learned over the years is like the roots i i often have not given enough credit to especially an interconnected system of roots but as we're talking about being grounded when you have that core line those deep roots those good connections that touch others you have that strong base i have had to learn on a fast track sort of like being a parent really made me slow down because I had to change my focus and I had to sit in the suck sometimes. <laughs> yeah. There's not a whole lot fun with a sick kid in the middle of the night. I'm just going to just call that what it is. That's not a lot of fun. But yeah. there's something beautiful about that forced stillness that for us, me as a seven, like it has given me more intentionality. It's given me more direction. I have to work at relationships now. I don't just get to like float through and interact with people and just like have a light touch point here. Or, you know, back when I was in higher ed as a student, I had so many people that I knew just because I was involved in everything, surprise, uh, and it just flowed through all these different things. And I had all these friends, air quotes around friends, because I'm realizing now as I've gotten older, it's not that they weren't my friends, but we didn't have deep roots. And so, we had good interactions, but when our time together was done, most of those friendships, like they went off on their own way. Like we did not have a connected root system and there's very few of those deep friendships. And so now being grounded and saying, these are my priorities. These are the things I need to focus on. And then the other things that could be the distractions or the things that used to, not that they don't bring me joy or not that I shouldn't see joy, but the thing of, I can just go and do what I want. That's not there anymore. And so, intentionality and all these things that are the hard things to deal with as a type seven, they are part of my life because now I have to develop deep relationships. Now, I have to choose to engage in those things and be still. And so, being grounded, not only does it make we have deep relationships and friendships, it makes those 
other moments engaging with people in a random scenario so much more joyful because I'm choosing to do it. It's not just, it didn't just happen anymore. It's not like it's just happening. It has to be intentional. And then it's also, it creates that space to be connected with the Lord because yeah. it's real easy to just run and run and not do that. Yeah. But when you have to, and for me, I almost, it's not like I became a parent because I was like, I need the stillness. I became a parent and I was like, oh, wow, I'm gonna have to be still to do this thing. <laughs> and mm-hmm. oh, wow, this is really hard. And oh, wow, look at the cool things that are happening. But yeah, I think it's so, it is important for sevens to have that balance though, right? Because they need to be able to use the gifts God gave them and to be joyful and try new things, but also be grounded. Find something that you can really sink your roots into. Mm. And hopefully (laughs) that thing is a relationship with the Lord. And then you have other, a couple other relationships and friendships that you can have too. But if we're not rooted in the firm foundation, we're going to shift and and it's going to go nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Grounded is a really good, (laughs) it's a really good word Mm. for a type seven. Yeah. That's so good, Nathan. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And man, seriously, thank you so much for being on this podcast. It's such a joy to have you here. And I just loved hearing from you today. So thank you. Oh, thanks for hanging with me and sorry we went long. Oh, that's okay. No worries. I anticipate our conversations always go long. (laughs) It's a good thing. Every time I have a conversation with Nathan, it goes exactly how I'd expect a conversation with a healthy seven to go. (laughs) We get super deep and personal, and at the same time, we laugh a ton. It's great and kind of humorous, because not only was that true of this interview with Nathan, but that's also like 90% of our interactions, Mm. Scott. (laughs) I love it. If you would do us a huge favor, please rate and give us stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts yes and if you're wondering about the song playing in the background right now that is my song titled seven it's from my album Enya songs fun fact about this song it is my most fun and entertaining song Hmm. which i think is pretty fitting for sevens (laughs) it's also the only song i wrote primarily on guitar not piano like all the other eight i wanted to give this song a rushed exciting feeling to it and out of that desire this guitar pattern came to me Hmm. so that's just kind of how that was birthed So give it a listen after this episode. Thanks again for listening today, friends. And always remember, we need a tool like the Enneagram to grow in self-awareness because what you don't own, owns you. Be well. Always hopeful and always curious, always avoiding my pain. He's a certified Enneagram instructor. <laughs> What's that word? <laughs> instructor? He's a certified Enneagram instructor through your Enneagram coach, just like me. And Nathan believe He is a certified Enneagram instructor through your Enneagram. Oh my gosh. You're good. It's late. No, I, I get it. <laughs> Thanks again for being... Being what? Thanks for being ears. <laughs> Thanks for being ears, guys. Thanks for having the ears for us. Thanks again. <laughs> okay, pull it together, Sawyer. <laughs>